0: I often get the question from people like, what should I be doing in preparation for the Google changes or the Apple changes? And usually my answer is take a deep breath. You're listening to Identity Revolution, a podcast from the consumer identity management experts at Infutor Data Solutions. In each episode, we invite industry leaders for data-driven discussions on all things marketing, analytics, and identity. Join us as we take a deep dive into industry trends, strategies, and the future of data technology.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Identity Revolution podcast presented by Infutor Data Solutions. My name is Corey Davis. I lead the MarTech, AdTech, and Media ecosystem here at Infutor. Very excited today to have our guest, Nick Jordan, joining us. Nick is currently founder of Narrative.io, background at Yahoo, Adobe, and TapAd, all before starting before starting Narrative, and a current partner of Infutor, Very excited to have him here with us today. Nick, thanks for joining us.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely. I guess to to get us started off, I think that the most broad and and basic question would just be a quick kind of two-minute version of you and your career path and how we got to starting Narrative.
0: Yeah, totally. I actually went to school to be a a computer scientist. I always thought I was going to Sling code for, for a living and realized pretty quickly that I was neither very good at that, nor did I enjoy it very much. So pretty quickly migrated into more of a product management career path, starting with my time at Yahoo. And then I went to a company called Demdex that was acquired by Adobe, where, where I ran product management for that product. And I continue to run product at Tapad. The nice thing about having a computer science background is I retained some of my technical knowledge. And so I've, I felt that one of my superpowers has always been able to bridge between the business and, and the technology technology side. And I think as you think of data as a subset of technology, that's become incredibly important in my career path. I largely started Narrative because I was experiencing uh, a couple of different problems while I was at TAPAD, you know, really just two sides of, uh, of the same coin. We, were, we had a voracious appetite to acquire new data sets at TAPAD to help inform our machine learning models. And we found that process of, of doing data acquisition of, of external data sets to be operationally almost impossible to scale. And then we were actually selling the outcomes of our machine learning models, which was a form of licensing data. And it was no easier to sell the stuff than it was to buy the stuff. And so ultimately, I I think, most decisions in humanity are, are driven around humans being inherently lazy I said certainly someone has solved this problem and and I'm going to go find that solution because I need it and unfortunately no such solution existed in in the form that I was looking for it and then started narrative basically to to, to help solve that problem so I went from trying to be lazy to doing what is arguably the least intelligent thing to do if you want to be lazy which is start a company
1: got it got it I like that and I guess talk us through. What is narrative and how does it work? I see messaging on your site and things like that as a data streaming platform. So, what does that mean? Mean both for data sellers and data buyers, and how are you bringing those two groups together?
0: Yeah, I will say the term data streaming platform uh, caused some controversy with us because depending on how you look at it, it can mean a bunch of different things. We ultimately chose the term data streaming platform because we can see what we do very similar to what a Spotify or a Netflix does around content. We're trying to do the same thing around data. So if I take the Spotify model, actually, when I was in high school and college, I worked at a music store. So I remember that there'd be a popular song on the radio, you'd have to go to a music store and buy an entire CD just to listen to the one song. You have to pay $20 to get access to the one song so you could listen to it on demand. And iTunes came around a decade later and they at least made it so you could buy the single song, right? You could pay 99 cents and get the one song that you wanted to, but you still had to go purchase that song. And then Shopify really took all of the music catalogs that are available and basically let you stream them on demand anytime that you want narrative that in some ways encompasses how easy we want it to be for companies to buy and sell data to each other. We'd love to have the entire corpus of information that's been generated in the history of the world available on our platform and let the folks that are generating that bring it to market in, in a very streamlined and in easy way and allow the people that want to acquire that data to do it in a way that's just as easy as it is to stream a song on, on Spotify. So really, really the broad thesis is that we think data is incredibly important to modern enterprise. We think it's only getting more important as our technologies get more sophisticated. But if there's a ton of friction between the buy side and the sell side and external data sets, it's not really going to live up to its promise. And our focus is to remove that friction and make things easy for really every company to, to do the things that they want to do without having to become level five subject matter experts in terms of all of the intricacies of data and how it might flow between two organizations
1: got it got it and so on the i guess customer side what are the core use cases that you're supporting is this predominantly marketing and advertising use cases are there others beyond that you guys talk us through yes
0: yeah so it is predominantly marketing and advertising today all the way although the way the pipes were built it was meant to be general purpose and we actually have a product launch in q2 of 2021 so in the next couple of months that's really going to allow the platform to be used for any type of data set. And so we really started with marketing advertising use cases for a couple of reasons. It was my background, so it was a space I understood really well. There was a ton of both buy-side and sell-side demand within that market. You could argue that the advertising industry is always on the leading edge of how data is being leveraged. And I think in the early stages of the company, we really wanted to have a little focus. If we had gone out from day one and said, we're going to solve all of the world's problems with the three employees that we have, we would have been set up for for failure. But as we've scaled the the business, And I think as our technology has matured, and frankly, as we've solved some of the hard problems about how do you make a generic data platform that can be everything to everybody, we've gotten to a point where we can now support that. We already have some early supply side partners that are coming on with the new product release in medical data, in agriculture data, in space-related data. And so we're pretty excited to blow this thing up from what we've been doing for the last five years to something much more general purpose.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Exciting to hear. And obviously, as we, as we think about data, especially around the marketing and advertising use cases, the topic that is never far off is usability of that data, portability of that data, privacy for the consumer. You mentioned to me recently that you spent some time doing some research on Flock, on the federated learning of cohorts from Google. Talk us through what you did and your point of view on it
0: yeah totally i'm glad you knew what flock stood for because while i did research on it i had not committed the uh, the actual meaning to memory
1: yeah i will admit i had to bing it i had to google tell
0: me (laughs) i was i was gonna say had you actually binged it that would be we could do a whole podcast on that alone
1: so talk Um, us through it
0: Yeah. So uh, Flock is a proposal. It's not, I think, fully baked is is what it's going to ultimately be put out by Google about how, at least within the Chrome browser and, and the privacy sandbox that sits within Chrome, companies can continue to leverage data assets in a world where the cookie is going away and and there's no persistent identifier uh, across those browsers. It it actually uses a lot of somewhat well-known techniques applied in, in fairly novel ways to do what it does. The layman's version of it is that the browser will store all of the data that historically might have been stored with the advertisers or with the publishers or with the technology companies. The the browser basically becomes the the database that stores all of the information about the user. And you can write to that database as an advertiser, as a publisher, or as a technology company, but you can't read from that database. You can't say, okay, what what are all the pieces of data we've collected about this user? Instead, the, the one thing you can read from that database is effectively a a label that's been placed on on that browser that puts that browser in a cohort. And so just think of a cohort as a set of users of a particular size. And so you could say that a given cohort could have a thousand different users in it. And so you might know that someone is in cohort one, two, three, four, and that there's probably 999 other people in that cohort, but you actually don't know how they got placed in that cohort. And you don't know the underlying data that went into it. And you can't differentiate between the thousand users that are in that cohort. So that's the general principle of what they're trying to do. As a, as an ex computer scientist, I'm pretty sure the computer scientists don't want me in their union, so they don't really want me saying that. But as someone that is dangerous enough with, dangerous enough with code, I, I thought it'd be fun just to build, build a version of Flock as if narrative was the browser, taking data that is in our platform and say, what would this look like if we did the same thing that Google was proposing? And it was fairly straightforward to do. Again, the math and the technology is not very hard. And I will admit that the results made sense. When you took a bunch of people that had performed similar actions, they were more likely to end up in the same cohort than people that looked very different than those users. And so I think from a efficacy perspective, it may be fine. The thing that really struck out to me that I don't think I had fully appreciated before I went through the exercise is how much it really upends the ability for anyone to innovate. It's Google that are, are, are creating the rules about what the browser does, what can be stored in the browser, what can be gotten out of the browser, and maybe even more importantly, the rules around the math of how the cohorts are created. They've defined the, the systems by which I get put in cohort one and you get put in cohort two. And even if it's even if it works, even if you think that it does an okay job, it does doesn't leave any room for innovation uh, on top of this, and so if I'm a clever data scientist that think there's a better way to build those cohorts, or think there's a better solution than cohorts themselves, there's not really a mechanism by which I can implement that because all everything happens within the browser, and so to me, and this is true with a lot of the the privacy related stuff that happens around ad tech, is you almost get into a anti competitive landscape, which has its own legal problems for for the people that are implementing it. And I think this actually extends beyond Flock and the data ecosystem. I know Google's trying to move real-time bidding into the browser. I know they're trying to basically take everything from happening in the servers that support the ad tech ecosystem and have them happen in the browser. And I just think one of the really serious side effects of that is like, how does anyone compete? Like, why, why would you work with a trade desk or a media math versus a dv 360 if literally they can all only do the same things because everything's happening within and to the extent that Google owns Chrome and Google owned a DB 360 or something like that, you have to think that the implications for the ad tech ecosystem are not particularly rosy if this ends up being the path they ultimately go down.
1: Got it. Got it. That's a pretty deep analysis. How much it took some time on that, right?
0: Six hours on a Saturday. Like I said, the, the math is pretty easy. It, admittedly, it was slightly over my head, so I had to like, dig into it a little bit. But uh, I, I will say, if I ignore the implications to industry and everything else, like it's, it was a fun little project to, to sit down and figure out how you can take these massive amounts of data and build a fairly effective, almost lookalike modeling capability in, in the course of an afternoon. And there was even some, the technology they used to do it is something called SimHash and SimHash was actually developed by Google for a different purpose. And so when Google crawls different web pages, they want to find pages that are are basically the same, right? You you can't create the same content and put it on 55 different sites and and have them all treat it like it's 55 different pieces of content. And so they created this algorithm that will basically look at at documents, web pages in this example, and they will create a basically a cohort, if you will, for each of those documents. So if two, two documents share the same cohort, they're likely to actually be the same piece of content that was just repurposed on a different site or whatever so they took their own algorithm that had been was used to make search better and actually applied it to this other problem which I give them credit for and, it, and, it, and it's really interesting again I think it's not the end all be all of technology and the inability to add things on top of it is really where the challenge is
1: got it got it appreciate that that overview that's very just for me personally that's helpful I'm sure I, I hope that's helpful to, to the audience here so to pivot a bit to more broadly around the ecosystem itself more tech, ad tech, media, data, all of that. You've obviously spent say 15 years in the space between all these different companies and now founding your own. What do you see in, I guess, around the corner predictions on the space, both on the software side of the space and on, on the data side of the space and where are we, where are we going? What's your prediction there?
0: Yeah, this isn't a particularly fun prediction, but in some ways, I think it's more of the same. We've gone through these rough spots in the industry over the last 15 years. I remember when mobile and, and native mobile gained a lot of prominence. A lot of people had built their technology, so it didn't know anything but the web browser. It didn't know what a mobile phone was. And so there was this maybe reshuffling of the leaders in the space, or you had the companies that were mobile native, or you had the companies that were really agile and adapting their technology to mobile. You largely came out of that, in the same place you went into it, maybe it was just different players. You solve the problem and you move on. And there's a bunch of noise around the privacy and regulation and the stuff Apple's doing and the stuff that like Google's doing and all of that. I ultimately, think we come out of it and... Some of the technologies might be a little bit different. Some of the implementations and, and maybe even the companies that win and lose may change a little bit. But I actually don't think it's going to change materially from now to 18 months from now. I, I often get the question from people like, "How? Sh- what should I be doing in preparation for the Google changes or the Apple changes?" And usually my answer is, "Take a deep breath." Because there's what can only be described as panic around some of these changes that are happening right now. And there's uncertainty, and people don't like uncertainty, but I would largely say stay the course. And any changes that happen are going to happen over a period of time, and there will largely be solutions to to those changes, but there's no need to run around with your pulling your hair out in the short term until those things are are largely in place. I do not see a world in advertising and marketing where we wake up and remember the fond old days of using data to do things like we're going to be using data a year from now and 10 years from now and probably 100 years from now. Again, the the underlying mechanisms may change some, but we're not going to go back to a place where everyone's just blindly throwing budget around and hoping things work.
1: Totally agree. Love that point of I guess so last question on the business. You as the as a founder and an executive across this space, what what innovation are you specifically paying attention to? What's got your attention? What are you seeing? Cool companies, cool technology, cool things that are happening in the space. What are What are you specifically paying attention to?
0: I don't know if any of these classify as cool. But some of the things that are happening around clean rooms and crosswalks are somewhat interesting. Not so. Not insofar that clean rooms and crosswalks exist, but the way math is being applied there. So whether it be differential privacy or something else, it goes back to this whole privacy and regulatory framework is. If you can make any given data point be noise, but make it that in the collective all of the noise gives you the same signal that you would have gotten had you had the underlying signal, then that that becomes really interesting. I think the big challenge a lot of those companies have is there's often, not always, but there's often a trade-off between the complexity of a system and its ability to gain traction, right? like You could build a system that guaranteed perfect anonymization and, and compliance with every privacy regulation around the world. But if it required everyone migrating off of their existing systems and processing and tools into this new thing, like that's a big ask, right? You could say, okay, you can't run your analysis in your existing database and your existing platforms you have to migrate all of your users over to this new platform that's an, an incredible expense for an organization and so i think the winners ultimately be will be the ones that sort of develop the technology but that technology can be embedded into People's existing workflows, as opposed to tell them they have to do things entirely different. And, and it's unclear to me that anyone has solved that up, up to this point. I, I hear a lot of magic around, oh, if you use our system, you don't have to worry anymore. Oh, by the way, our system doesn't do one one hundredth of what you actually do in your existing systems, and you would have to get rid of those systems and move to ours. That's you know, that's not going not gonna get the job done.
1: Absolutely. Love it. Okay, last. So to transition out of uh, this wild and crazy data and more tech and adtech. tech media world. Outside of running a company, where are you spending your time? What are, you, what are you doing outside of your day job? I
0: think anyone that runs a company will tell you that you're doing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> instead of running the company, it's, it's a from the time I wake up in the morning until the time I, I go to bed at night. Luckily, parts of my job are fairly cerebral. It's trying to figure out the next trend or trying to figure out how to solve a problem or, or, or whatever. And I, I enjoy running quite a bit, uh, especially as we've entered back into the warmer months of the year, being able to get outside and, and go for a long run. As anyone that's been on, on a Zoom call with me for the last 14 months can attest, I've got a Peloton bike sitting behind me, and so I'm, on bad weather days, I'll, I'll hop on the bike. Other than that, is true for everyone. There's not a whole lot going on during the pandemic, so it's you know it's a lot of work, working out, sleeping, rinsing, and repeating.
1: Love it, awesome. Okay, and coming up on, on time here. Lastly, where, where can the where can the audience go to learn more about you, about narrative, get in contact with you? Yeah.
0: Yeah, so our website's at narrative.io. We also have a fully self-service product at app.narrative.io. So if you want the marketing, go to narrative.io. If you want to use the product, go to app.narrative.io. We really try to make everything easy to use. and We think a forcing function for that is to really let people use it without talking to us first if they want to. For me personally, I will say... There's a warning label that goes ahead of this because on my social media, which is largely Twitter, I'm not usually tweeting about work things, and I'm not being insightful at all. I kind of I'm one of those people that doesn't put it in my profile that these are my my opinions, not the opinions of narrative. But that is certainly true. But I'm at Nick underscore Jordan again. uh, Buyer beware if you're not a St. Bonaventure. Uh, bonnie's basketball fan you're probably going to be non by 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 the content but yeah in the offseason I, I try to be a little bit less uh, passionate about college basketball
1: i have thoroughly enjoyed your tweeting the last month or so about about the Bonnies we'll see them next year
0: yeah preseason, like two early preseason polls they're already in the top 25 like the Bonnie's nation is losing their mind myself yeah. included yeah, i can't promise that it's gonna be it's gonna make any sense to, to anyone but mm-hmm. if you're into someone that's way too passionate about something that doesn't really matter, like I've got the content for you.
1: Awesome. Nick, thanks so much for for joining us. And everybody, this is another episode of the Identity Revolution podcast. We will see you next
0: time. Thanks again for listening to Identity Revolution. For more data-driven discussion, subscribe to Identity Revolution on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And for more on how Infutor can improve your data strategy across your entire enterprise, visit infutor.com.